This is the Green Strength Podcast with Lucius Tyree IV, where the mission is building strength, enhancing performance, and uplifting consciousness. So tune in with the mind, body, and spirit, and let's get moving. Like, what's up with the current state of jujitsu? It's It's interesting, like, like, on one hand, I know there's just got to be, like, all these people across the world that are just amazing, like, really, really good. But they just haven't, they don't have the opportunity, they're not in the right areas, the right country, whatever. Um, and then there's, like, on the other side, there's, like, flow grappling and what flow has done. And I think it's cool because I love watching stuff, and I think they've done a good job of production and all that stuff. But on the other hand they've kind of like made their own new rankings and their own like of who the top grapplers are and and stuff. And they've kind of created their own pool of people. But you know that there's got to be just like tons of Brazilians that are just down there at the Brazilian nationals that are just killing it. Mm -hmm. But I guess another thing that could be interesting though is a lot of the people I'm talking about are probably still in Gi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then... This no-gi portion is kind of, I guess, what has got the most media. Right, right. That definitely is more competitively popular now. It's a little faster pace, more exciting. Um, yeah, it just it, that does seem to be what's most popular right now from a media standpoint. I think gi jiu-jitsu is like, there's probably 10 times as many people that practice gi jiu-jitsu as no-gi. And... That's probably shifting, but there's, I don't know, there's, I, there's all these threads on Reddit and they're like, oh, it's the gi jiu-jitsu is going to go away. And I'm like, that's not the case at all. Like, that's never going to be the case. Like, does it grow again? Does it have it spurt again? Does it kind of go back? Do you think this is going to be cyclical in a way of like where eventually everybody's going to get through this kind of leg lock? I say leg lock craze. And what I mean by get through it, it's like everybody's going to go so nuts down this for the next decade and then all of a sudden, everybody's probably going to be like, okay, we can kind of go back to full body, like, <laughs> jujitsu, not ripping knees apart. I, think I, it's, I don't know. I'm I think it's already, it. it's just the the metagame shifts. And so, like, yeah, leg locks became really popular, but it seems like that's starting to shift a little bit. Like, watching some of the recent events, like that who's number one it was much more advantageous to be on top and passing rather than to be on bottom going for leg finishes. Like, I feel like we saw a lot more like, um, like the the Rotolo brothers, you know, darsh like five different people on top passing. Like it just like that metagame will shift as people learn to defend and not get caught up in those leg entanglements as they understand them, then everything sorts. So that is that weird game because the most submissions in the tournament were heel hooks. Was it? But yeah, you win if you keep your legs out mm-hmm. and you stay on top. Yeah, passing. So yeah. it's kind of it's that's yeah. Everything everything yeah. will shift. Yeah, the ones who don't get the submission stay down there and try and try and try to get underneath yeah. the dude on top. And just and, keep throwing. And like it's nothing new. It's like you can see old footage. I say old footage, but like early ADCCs and stuff of like Dean Lister going out and submitting people with heel hooks yeah. and, and leg locks and stuff. So it's like, it's been around and just like, it got really popular, particularly with like the Danaher guys and all that, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I like flow grappling. I love that it's an opportunity to watch jujitsu cause I enjoy it. And I think that's part of it is like, there's this, 
effort to make jujitsu a spectator sport. And like, it just isn't a great spectator sport where like, especially like, unless it's people that are, that train it are about the only ones that will find interest in watching it. And even then a lot of people who train are like, I don't like to watch it. It's just not that fun. I I do enjoy it. Um, but it's never going to be like, you know, the popular sports that people will go watch football, even though they never played. Like that's a, people will always do that kind of thing. Like it's much more popular. And so I think there's like a, but there's this, this push to make it more interesting for spectators. And so we see like what they're doing with ADCC that we see what their story is doing and all that. But I think their content in general, like if I give anything to flow that they get me paying attention several nights a week, I'll check out some of the different videos, Mm -hmm. some of the fix my games and stuff. Yeah. It's great stuff on there. And I think it is, um, building it's po- nothing but positive well on, the, on that note too they also like right now today's the first day of nogi worlds and we've got a big team that's down in dallas competing at that and um in fact two of our teammates got a silver and bronze today already uh david and david. nick and uh yeah i don't know if you got to watch any of those but great job to those guys they're they're the way they went out was a little Weird Nick, unfortunately, got kind of a knee injury from a 50-50 position that caused him to basically verbal tap, essentially, because of that injury. And then Davin got disqualified for a slam that was like, I don't know, terrible call. Basically good, a terrible call. Good so for some him. Th- slam the shit out of somebody, David. <laughs> <laughs> like, these matches don't really matter. Yeah. You slamming somebody down is what... Yeah. yeah and no. it wasn't even really... It's like he's... Yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. But great job to those guys. I mean, they still on the podium... Uh, going out, competing, and that's something that we can watch on Flow. So appreciate yeah. that content. But I mean, I was driving here and I was thinking of I've, it's not just today, but I've been thinking about a variety of things. And and with respect to jujitsu, some of other teammates have been talking about it because I personally don't spend very much time doing no gi jujitsu. My primary love in jujitsu is gi jujitsu, uh, but at the same time, like we do train both. And I've been struggling with this idea of as I'm trying to advance, I don't want to be that guy that continues to advance, but I like suck at one aspect. I suck at no gi. And so trying to figure out how to balance that, particularly like I only get to train two to three days a week. Right. So it's like trying to figure out how to do both well. And for those that maybe like aren't as familiar, I, mean, I think most of the people that listen probably do are familiar with jujitsu, but to me, like the difference between the two, they're not strictly completely different sports, but it's like the difference between baseball and softball. Right. Like, they're not the same sport and there are different skill sets within them, but there's also a lot of carryover, right? Like hitting a ball, throwing a ball, catching a ball are similar, but there's also so many things that are different within those sports and people can specialize. And that's sort of like how I kind of correlate gi and no gi. But then I started thinking about it in the context of advancing and progressing in strength. And I wanted to kind of get your opinion on if you thought there was sort of a, like right now in jujitsu, there's this almost like a push towards specification, specificity, right? Where like people who want to be good at no gi, like that's predominantly all they train. And people want to be good at gi, like that's all they train. But doing both is getting harder and harder uh, if you want to be at a very, very high level. And I was kind of thinking that in the context of, of strength training as well. Like how much of it is, look, if I want to be really good and get strong at using like kettlebells, for example, then I need to spend my time doing that. And so if I'm trying to do, 
well, I'm going to use kettlebells and I'm going to use barbells and I'm going to try to do like gymnastics, string training, and I'm going to like, you're going to kind of be floundering around and not get good at anything. Uh, I don't know. I wanted to kind of get your take on that. If you oh, thought I mean, there's like that specificity of like, if you want, like you need to pick something and focus on it if you want to get strong because it, there is a skill component, everything else. The beauty. <laughs> There's a lot to that. One thing is picking something and actually applying intentional learning development, like time, and and kind of mastering something. The beautiful thing about that is that decision is like the hard part to like actually do it, not like try to do it, not play with it, not give it enough of its due diligence and half-ass it, but like invest into it, spend the time build your life around it, gain that knowledge. And then the beautiful thing is you could move on to something else. And that knowledge is still there. It's like riding a bike as a child. And we get, you know, we ride it again as an adult or years later. And it's like, I can do this same damn thing. But you don't have that if you don't fully commit into something and make that a priority. I think that parallels anything in life as we, as we know. Um, but that's kind of that personal decision that people need to make. We've talked about this, but this is the perfect context of like looking at it like, what, what do you, what do you want out of the gym, or like, what do you want out of your physical program? Like, do you have a legitimate why, a legitimate deadline, a legitimate goal, or is it just to look good, feel good, perform at various weekend warrior sports and stuff, and then you know that that's great, that's exercise. But if we're trying to reach certain things, certain markers, then that's where training comes in and we need to be responsible about that. I think that makes sense. That's kind of what I, I hadn't really thought of it in like the strength training concept, but it's like where for me, right, I've kind of obviously, obviously from your influence, uh, have really enjoyed learning kettlebells and have just kind of sort of fallen in love with that aspect is this is more than just, well, I got to go to the gym today. It's like, no, this is, I get to go practice this skill and try to develop it and get stronger with this particular thing. Not necessarily for the sake of just getting stronger, but because it's fun to progress with this thing, you know? Yeah. And like I said, that dedication, which is, I keep, I've now started saying that like, if I just spent like six months focusing on Nogi Jiu Jitsu, I'd probably advance considerably and then always at least have that foundation built. Yeah. Uh, well, but. think about the kettlebell and think about like what we were talking about last week where people don't understand it and they might kind of poo-poo it in certain things and its capacity or its ability to deliver certain type of results, right? And, you know, if you just dabbled and played and didn't learn and really master the kettlebell, then you'd never be able to fully extract anything and, and kind of, in my opinion, like have an opinion, you know, you can't say it works, it doesn't work, it does this, it does that. It's like when well, you never mastered it to then be able to get these magnificent qualities. And I, every tool has that. Every tool has that, like can produce magnificent qualities. And I believe every tool has the potential to a degree, context, of course, but to produce what you want out of it as long as you're creative and you've mastered it enough to be able to elicit that out of it. And um, so it's almost like you really can't train anything until you master something. Because then when you master something, then the training begins. 
you know, and there's obviously a level. Mastery is not the level, of course. That's stupid for me to say. But jujitsu is a perfect example of when we like really reach a legitimate blue belt. And I, you know, like that's where it's like, okay, now I'm training jujitsu. What have I been doing these last two, three years? Well, I've been learning to train or, you know, learning how to actually have the ability to train. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where just respecting the tools, figuring out like kind of like their history, their lineage, and like figuring out the different styles and, and learning all of those and learning the, the intricacies of each one and then finding joy and um, which one, you know, like fuels you. You might find you learned a tool, but you don't really enjoy it. And just you step away from that, but it's always there, the ability to go back and extract um, the powerful things when you need it. It's excellent. Hey, so we got some questions that came in, mm -hmm. and we always like to answer questions on the show. So this may be a little bit of a grab bag of questions. Yeah. But some of our previous episodes have sparked some questions, those kinds of things. So we're going to hit you with some questions. So the first one is uh, somebody came in here. So I, I compete in jujitsu and train four to five nights a week, 90 to 120 minutes each, you know, each one of those sessions. So quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, 32 years old and have been a recreational athlete pretty much their whole life, you know, in high school, college, so forth. Love an active lifestyle. So I struggle trying to gain lean mass. Any advice? And I, I've certainly, you know, felt like uh, I can mm -hmm. identify with that a little bit to some degree. So, yeah, what's your advice well, there? So, let's look at a couple of things. Obviously, the age being 32, and then them saying that they live, they one live an active lifestyle and that they've had an active lifestyle of uh, being athletic and things. That paints a picture of somebody who, obviously, outside the jujitsu schedule, is active and they're active as heck in jujitsu, training four to five nights a week almost for two hours. Um, that, that's a lot. Um, so somebody's training a bunch. They're very active. They've been active their whole life. They probably have no problem following three, four, five, six-day workout splits. They're probably always doing this stuff, and that's why the, where the question probably arises. Like, man, I'm on my stuff all the time, but it's still kind of hard to like gain this lean mass. And that's where I would say first we got to like systemize things down a little bit we've got to stop doing a bunch of variety and start to focus on like solid things that are going to produce lean muscle mass. And I think by just focusing on that, that takes a lot of uh, the time and the energy and the, uh, the physical energy and mental energy and all the other stuff you're doing that's, that's likely slowing you down from gaining mass. So I believe taking a step back here, focusing on quality strength training, Maybe at three days a week would be ideal. Um, and this this could be hard for this type of person. This type of person sounds like somebody like myself who wants to be active every day. And that's where I would say still be active every day, but enjoy going on walks, enjoy doing mobility circuits, enjoy doing lighter strength training, lighter cardiac uh, type efforts like riding the bike and stuff like that or, or learn, you know, get a rope and start rolling the rope and doing things like that, light sled dragging on those days. But <clears throat> let's reduce the uh, strength training down and get a lot more quality with it. Just kind of think an exercise from a push, a pull, a squat, some sort of hinge and a carry every time and make it good quality sets of three to four reps of, you know, whatever the 
three to four sets of whatever the desired uh, reps are you're going for. Lean muscle mass, you're going to need a little bit of stimulation there, so you don't want things too low. You're going to need to kind of get a little pump, so um, just just kind of slow down a little bit and get quality on all this. Make sure your food's up and um, uh, turn junk exercise into quality exercise, and I bet you, you put on some pounds. That's excellent advice. I, I've needed that advice. <laughs> it just, it really does. It's like, man, it's like when I say junk activity and the junk exercise, like, okay, there could be a day in which you really do a good strength training session and maybe that person does jujitsu that day. It's like, maybe that's the day you don't have to have your, your hour long walk or your extra cardio or something or whatever else you're doing. Like make that something that, that feels good. Get a little bit more sleep, obviously, and eat a little bit more food and give your body a chance to actually grow and recover from growth. Yeah. And that's a big thing. Is there a case for something like that, that maybe they are training jujitsu five days a week to say, look, if we got to have a serious conversation about how many days you're training, like you may need to take a few months and let's shift the priorities here. If you're, if your number one goal is to gain lean mass, then we got to look at this whole balance and, and shift those priorities. Is that 100%, something 100%. Um, if somebody was like really serious with that, they should probably look at the, you know, their, their training, like how much of like what I imagine on this person is, um, somebody's always getting four to six rounds a night. So, you know, maybe if you took a couple of those nights off and did four to six rounds with a partner of just drilling, um, that's a lot of stress, a lot of like high wear and tear cardio, cardiovascular activity that that's counterproductive to lean body mass. So yeah, you could definitely start to do that. Um, that would be a tool in the toolbox. That might be something I would employ a little bit later. So maybe I'd clean up, I'd say, okay, hey, I'm going to do a, just a basic three day simple uh, workout split where I'm not doing a bunch of extra sets and drop sets and all this junk volume. I'm just going to prioritize on good progressive overload over time. I'm going to eat a little bit better. I'm going to slow down my daily activity a tiny bit, give myself a little bit more sleep. Then a very powerful thing to kind of shock and stress next would be to flip those if you were rolling five nights a week to flip it three nights a week, you know, that, that will have a drastic uh, impact yeah. for sure. It's a whole mix there. But like I said, starting with focusing on the right kind of strength training. Being cyclical and, with it, right? Yeah. Very easy for you to take one week and, and roll twice and drill three times. And then the next week, the next couple of weeks say, hey, I roll four nights a week. This, these are my two hard weeks. But then I always go back that third week to, you know, a couple nights off. Yeah. It's not always easy, but it is simple. The answer is simple, but you got to have that uh, that dedication and, and focus to do it. Yeah. So, um, you know, recently we talked about back pain, lower back pain in particular, on one of the episodes. Highly came and joined us, and we talked about all kinds of stuff on that one. Uh, There's a question about for people that are struggling with back pain. Um, you know, somebody they've had the green light. Uh, but still just feels like it shouldn't hurt that much while trying to get back to doing what they're doing. So they're still really struggling, but there doesn't like, they're not necessarily medically finding anything from a doctor or whatever that just saying, well, if it hurts, don't do it. I mean, I don't know. Um, there, there's could be a lot of things going on there, but they're really struggling with that lower back pain. Uh, what kind of things do you like for them and advice in that case? Well, when I talk, when I say, what is breathing, 
rolling patterns, uh, cross crawl patterns from our back, standing, um, uh, quadrupt, you know, bird dogs, dead bugs, all these, like, what do those positions and those things mean to, like, when I, when I ask those to you, like, what do they mean to you? And I guess, go ahead. I'm going to ask you that. Like, what do they mean to you? I mean, those are all, it's weird because they, they fit a couple roles. Like they can be a little, uh, physical therapy-ish. Um, but they are great, not only for a warm up, but also just that overall whole core exercise. I mean, they're, and they're are, things that I, are they exercise? Yeah. There we go. We get the green light to exercise and we always view the bench presses, the pull downs, the, the physical exercises that are going on the gym. And I know it just, I just said exercise. Everything's exercise. That's my point. I think somebody with back pain, like get over the fact that like, well, they told me I can do these things. They told me I can, if it's causing any pain right now, get away from it. And I don't like, I think the, the number one thing there is keep a positive mind body connection of feeling good. So if something is, is causing a problem, just avoid it. I think majority of people with back pain don't go back to the right exercise. I think we need to spend time like in like 30, 40 minutes of just rolling and moving on the floor and finding, you know, a lot of like the spinal engine, moving that stuff around, giving our body the, the motion is the lotion therapy. We need to really focus on our breathing. We need to focus on that quadrup position and crawling, and whether it's baby crawl, just building up that reactive stability, sinking our breath with all of that. That's the foundational exercise that we all need to go back and do. But somebody coming from back pain, coming back into exercise, definitely needs to live there first and build that to a very solid foundation and then start to stack upon the fitness industry exercise. You know, that's that's number that's the most important thing. But just like I said, everybody can go back and should have the same practice in order to not have back pain and to live a robust, healthy life with a healthy spine and ability to move and, and good mind body connection. That's just um and that's it's hard to say like that's yoga and that's movement because it's all those things. It's it but Remember, all those things can be dangerous, too. You know, like, don't try to get outside your box. Just move and feel good. So another cool thing that I definitely recommend to everybody is, is get a rope, man. We've, we've talked about it. I've literally have not met one individual, and I know you can back me up on this. I've never met one person that has tried to start rolling the rope that didn't say that it felt good and it was fun. Oh yeah. So I, there's boom. Oh, I, I yeah, as soon as you kind of introduced it and I learned some of the basic movements, man, I kind of got Oh yeah, really enjoy it and it's it's something again, it goes it goes to we have any we're going to have to break that down one of these days and talk more about it, but it's the thing that it's great for a warm up, it's great for mixing in in between exercises as opposed to just sitting doing that as a a, a rest exercise. It's a 
go outside and do it for 10 minutes as a meditation. I mean, it fulfills so many different roles. Oh, the brain activity. Absolutely. Undescribable. That's a whole other thing. But people will look at you like you're a goof. How much time? But who cares? How much time do you revert? Have you basically like reversed um, doing the junk exercise or mindless exercise? Now that you're rolling a rope, that's probably a lot of minutes that have been reversed. And think about that. Without even thinking about it, now you're like movement meditation. When something might just have been a habit or doing something or something that really didn't contribute, this always delivers. And now you're doing it more. So that's a perfect thing for people um, to get and to start kind of curing their addiction to want to move more. That's the best way to move right there. Yeah. It's hard to describe the rope. Like, it's like you have to see it and experience it to kind of know what we're talking about because it is like a weird thing. And it sounds. You've got to learn how to roll through and, and move through your body from the center out, the core all the way out. And you have to learn how to create that exploration. And the rope provides uh, just a perfect way to do that. So, yeah. anybody with back pain, get a rope. Start basic. Again, this is something you can get lost. If you look on Instagram, you're going to see all the crazy stuff. Don't even worry about that right now. There's a couple of basic stuff. I even put a little a YouTube video out that shows like some basic things. But just learn how to just roll and move and relax. And start um, definitely just doing all your uh, your ground-based mobility. You're, you're really focused on your breathing, focus on marching and walking, um, those sort of things, and building the capacity up of those over time before you're worried about like getting up and down off of machines and bench presses and stuff like that. Like It's just not going to serve you. There you go. That's an excellent advice there. Uh, we've talked, uh, like it's kind of come up a couple of times, the um, like 5-3-1 style of training. Uh, I actually think I have a book I found at Half Price Books at home that's on one of the one of Windler's five three one programs, uh, and you've talked about how people can like really screw that up. And again, this is a this may be one of the most popular styles of periodized barbell training, right? Um, you know, once you get past this idea of linear progression, where all, every time I work out, I'm just going to add weight to it. I mean, that, that is a short lifespan. So people go to this, this style of training and this is, you look on any internet forum for how to get strong. I mean, this, this kind of programming comes up a lot, but yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion or, or issues out there. So break that down for us. Everybody screws it up exactly where Windler has touched on literally the first chapter of every single edition of the book and since the day he started this program. Drop your ego. The book clearly, and in fact, as the editions have gone on, he's even gone to like 85% of. So what I mean by here is to start a 531, you could work up to a five rep max and that would be in relation to around 90% of your perceived one rep max. If you know your one rep max, then the book 531 program wants you to start at 90% of your one rep max. That is your now one rep max. Okay, so, right, right, right. and that is just submaximal training, keeping you in a zone that you can day in and day out smash. 
and always have good reps. On the bad days, you can get it done. On the good days, you can do great. Um, but strictly, where everybody messes it up is right there. Like nobody will ever start light enough and respect the program and respect the time and mapping something out, saying, hey, you know, for the next eight months, the next year, I'm going to start where I'm supposed to, and although it might be easy, I'm just going to keep digging a little bit of dirt every day, exactly like the book says. And that's the problem with most all programs is our ego gets the best of us. We think we're a little bit higher level than we are. We think we understand the program. We think all of our back end has been done enough to start the program direct, you know, like other people are doing it. Um, but for 531, I, I strictly think people, just everybody that I've ever been around has abused the program. And a couple of people, a <laughs> couple of one guy recently, a good buddy of mine, I'm going to give him some love. He really stuck with it at a very submaximal way. And he felt great. His joints didn't bother him. He wasn't stressed and like, he never like six, eight weeks into things like he wasn't having needing big D loads and feeling the stress of training. He just was banging. And then when it was come time to hit some maxes, he has done well, stronger than he was, you know? So, yeah. So that, right. Stop so what you're, greedy. what you're saying there, like, it's like, if you start out and say, okay, my current maximum deadlift is 300 pounds. Like that's the most I could lift for one rep, 300 pounds. Yeah. His concept is, well, we're going to take 10% of that off. So 270. And we're going to say for all the purposes in this, this program, your one rep max, as we said today is 270. Mm -hmm. And we're going to treat it a little bit lower so that we're going to start with that baseline of something where we're always going to complete our sets. We're not going to go out and kill ourselves and progress from there. So yeah. So so people are like, people are like, no, I'll just start with 300. Yeah. Yeah. We can systematically over time have loads that elicit a proper training response, but also allow us the ability to practice and forcefully execute reps and, and all the above and not grind things out and get technical diff, you know, inefficiencies and all of that. Just BS. It's, but it, it is, man. It's just mind, it's a hard program to follow because of that thing. And where does everybody go that does follow that program? They follow all the other made-up routines and add as much volume, and that's part of his thing in those books. He's given you all these different programs and templates that he's done, and then he always... I love Jim Windler because Windler's like, second, you don't do it as it's fucking written. You didn't do my fucking program. So, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Stop calling it but, Stop yeah. calling it 5 So people like... And the simplicity of the options. It's like makes things, it makes fitness simple, which is what we need to get back to doing. We've complicated the shit out of all this to the point where I think you've seen recently in the past couple of weeks in here, most all people don't even know how to do push-ups. So we've overcomplicated and have all these questions and answers and things and podcasts and stuff, but everybody could go back through a, you know, a, a refurbish of, of learning how to grip the ground with their feet and create torque and squat and do push-ups and do pull-ups and then go back to the basic exercises and get the most that they're capable of getting and then restart whatever you want to do. And we'd all be better, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> that's, yeah, it's too easy. It's too easy. Nobody, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, so let's talk about um, how would you train athletes 
athletes today compared to the 35 plus men like myself uh, who just want to look good and feel great? Like, what's the distinction there between those of us who are more uh, middling aged? Dude, I would <laughs> honestly now today, that's probably the biggest. This is a cool question because I'd train them very similar. I mean, we're training human movement. Okay, so performance, young athletes, they're going to need some change of direction, some some jumps and some throws and some, you know, some basic uh, uh, power type movements and uh, linear speed work and all that kind of stuff. So maybe they've got a couple days in which they don't strength train as much as the 35 plus. Maybe they've got three strength training sessions and some field work and some dynamic work and things like that. But as far as like the training and the principles and stuff, it's going to be virtually the same. The young athlete will probably have some a little bit more killer kind of hypertrophy things for them because they can handle a little bit more at that age. But like I said, the beauty behind it is we'll make these young athletes better by controlling the just the quantity and the stress that they get. We don't need to beat them down. We need to build them up and feed them up. And they're at an age where very ironically they can survive the hell. But if we put them in, the, we don't want to put them in the heaven because we got to have some some adversity, but they can survive the hell. But if we put them in that good pool, they thrive. But very few are thriving out there because, we, you know, the hell is where we need to suffer and live. And that's, uh, I think it can be further from the truth for young athletes. They need to, to realize that they're going to be 35 plus two, so they're going to have to be following those same things that, uh, that, are, that are helping us out as we get older anyways. Yeah, I, w- I wonder why that is. Like, there, it seems like there would be. And look, I'm not, I'm not a somebody who's like been a competitive athlete at any high level, but it does seem like there's a lot of this intensity to training and style of training that almost seems like it would be counterproductive or just like a lot of diminishing returns. Uh, because you are trying to like live in that hell phase of, I got to just do the most I possibly can and I'll deal with the consequences later. Um, I just always kind of wondered, but you're doing something. Yeah. So something happens. People look at the positives and then they, they run with that. Like that, that there's that, that line of like what I exactly talked to you about the other day with the bodybuilding. It's like, man, people are, are ripping themselves up and feeding themselves and putting stimulants in their body and building these massive things. And then people are like sitting back and they're, they're gaming the system, you know, they're intellectually thinking, okay, like, uh, let me, let me look at the science and let me apply it. But then the interesting thing about that is how do I also battle my human mind? You know, like how does somebody take the science apply the science, but then also apply the dedication of not slipping and messing up and things like that. But I don't know. We, li- we live in a weird time right now where there's just the prize. I guess it's, it's kind of the funny thing that this squid game thing comes out right now because it's like the prize at the end of the tunnel that all these people see is like $100 million contracts and just nothing but fame. And, and I don't know how the but the parents are, are wrapped up in it too. 
mm-hmm. like that they want it so bad and it's like non-stop we're going to do everything and the, and the beauty behind our generation and our ability now in time is that we have the financial means to give you everything that you need to be successful and it's like the best equipment the best camps the best and i don't even want to say the best coaches because it's the best in that world the best coach could be just like literally grandpa at the farm on the summer like that could be the best coach at that time you know somebody an old man in a weight room that can teach them how to clean shit up put it up on their bar and lift it correctly and you know not get caught up in the games with the other kids like those are the valuable lessons that a lot of like athletes don't get today and um i don't know that's just a weird it's, it's something i always just look at and see when i'm watching these young guys training there there's tons of good training going on but there's still tons of of just parents getting in the way and and they just don't know they just don't know do you think a lot of it has to do with like we get away with a lot with kids because and i say kids say anybody who's like 24 and younger even right so like maybe college age and below that like you can just get away with so much because when you're that young like you are so adaptable you are so resilient you don't like you bounce back from little injuries quicker that like we just get away with doing whatever we want because like they don't get hurt like you might when you're 35 and so it's like and and everything works right when you're everything when you're works. when you're 18 years old and you can just throw whatever at a kid and they're like they're going to get better especially if they haven't really been doing anything like yeah. they're obviously going to progress so there's a lot of just like nonsense because of that that like you can just get away with it and they don't realize that it's doing long term is not a good choice but also is not optimal but the need to the need to like feel like they're left behind like, so like parents literally might, like, I, I know parents that are like, literally if their kid is like, has an injury, they won't pull them out because of the fear of getting left behind. Hmm. I mean, and that's just, I don't know. It's just crazy. It's just a, it's a mad, mad world with this stuff now. And at the highest level, it's not always the best education and the best because it really doesn't matter who's who's coaching you. It, like what matters over time is like can the do the person and the coach connect and did they end up having a relationship? That's where like real learning and development is going to happen. Um, but outside of that, then it just becomes doing exercise again, and you know maybe somebody's got some faulty movement patterns and they get injured and they don't, you know, all that kind of stuff happens. Well, I think so much too the things you've talked about where so many things are individualized and like, how do you feel that day? But yet we're going to put every kid on the team through the exact same program. And on the same days, we're going to be doing the same workouts, the same everything. And like, that's not necessarily like, it isn't always one size fits all. Like that kid may not have slept well. He may be stressed out from a test and who knows what's going on in his home life and how much sleep did he get? And has he eaten well? But like, we're going to put him through the same thing. And like, that's maybe a risky thing, but, and I get individualizing. It's hard. What's with our men, like our, our, our men culture now today of like not struggling with struggling at the discipline things that they don't require hardcore struggle. Like that's the masculine trend now. It's like to show you that I'm disciplined but the only things that I can be disciplined on 
are like that of like these hardcore things. Like where's the discipline in like reading a fucking book? Like really like reading a book or slowing down or actually, actually taking weight off the bar and doing everything completely right. No, it's got to be the hottest sauna, the coldest bath, the discipline of waking up early, the discipline of just, you know, getting the run in and doing that. And where's the discipline of like actually saying, no, I'm going to earn the right to get this run in and I'm far away from earning that right. looks like I got a long road ahead of me that's going to start learning all that physical therapy shit we're talking about on the ground. They're going to have to learn about how to fix their feet, strengthen their feet up, learn how to build a gait pattern. And then all of a sudden they've learned. And like that, that's, that is discipline. But this other thing is, and this is where I see the most majority of 30, under 35 plus, where they're messing up five, three, one and stuff is everybody has the discipline to suffer hard, but nobody has the discipline to suffer in that like technical proficient manner. Mm. Mm. That's good stuff. That's, that's, mm. that's wisdom. Y'all, if you don't, if you don't take that I to mean, heart, but, but that's what we deal with in jujitsu, right? Yeah. Like you want to get better. Go back to our first question. You, you're rolling four to six rounds, five nights a week, let's say. Mm -hmm. And the hardest ego part of that is to take two of those nights and turn those rounds into just perfect drilling rounds. Mm -hmm. But we know that as far as like actual learning development, that would be the absolute best thing to do. Or to like put yourself in your weakest positions uh -huh. and focus on that. And yeah. I, I mean, I struggle with that in here where it's like, I hate, I, I hate doing squats. I would much rather do just about anything other than that. But it's like the thing you hate doing the most is probably what we would call a weakness and something that you should spend more time. But when focusing are you, when on, are you yeah. going to tell your partner too, though? Yeah. Like in jujitsu, that's a big thing. Absolutely. When are you going to actually stop them and say like, no, this is what I need out of you. We actually have to be able to do this in order to get better this time. I can't go into, you know, go into like uh, fight world, or flight here. world champ mode. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Last question. Um, some, some locker room talk about, uh, one meal a day. Yeah, man. Everybody's, I'm a one meal a day person. Um, I've I think talked about that a little bit. Oh man. It's so challenging. It seems like but I don't like, again, let me say this. I'm not, um, I, I enjoy, I've got a lot of positives, but it's not something that like, I feel like I'm going to do forever. It's not something that I feel like I am married to. I would actually, and do have other times where I eat at different times throughout the day. Definitely if I'm traveling or something, uh, I enjoy like in Montana, I had breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. I enjoyed it with the people. So that like, I don't, it's just kind of where, when my routine has formed down into this and when I can keep that going and when my body tells me certain things, then I'm able to keep it going. But that's, I've done a lot of like many years to get to that position. And I know most people don't know about me doing it. They know about Professor Lovato doing it. And that's where this question came from in the locker room of just people interested in the, oh, you're the person that's, you know, gotten Raphael to eat like one meal a day. And, you know, would that work for me? And there's, I want to just say no. Like, I do, <laughs> like, no. I believe there's a lot of answers to this. I don't want to get down the, the side on Raphael, but Raphael 
and myself are just a little bit different in the mind. <laughs> a little it's an, bit. It's an interesting way of saying we've, crazy person. A little bit crazy. <laughs> and we're a little bit dedicated in a way. And we've taken a lot of time to get there. So if somebody wanted to work and get into that, I could help them. But it would be a, a multi-year process. So it's not some. There just gives you that context. Second thing, no, don't do it. There's an easy. I think you need to ingest some calories throughout the day. Do I think it needs to be anything in whole food to kind of really throw you out of that fasting feeling? No. But if you're training like this person is multiple times a day with strength conditioning to sparring to technical sessions in the evening and stuff, um, we need simple sugars and we need at the very bare minimum simple sugars and electrolytes. Um, So just even liquid meals, two or three times throughout the day, maybe a tablespoon of of honey um, and some water with some sea salt or an electrolyte drink itself would be the bare minimum of something I would want somebody to be doing there. Um, But then that would all depend also on what the one meal looks like. If, you know, that we had to start backwards anyway, so we should have started backwards. If you're doing one meal you better show me that you've got everything in there that you need calorically to support you, not only to repair through the day, but to also store and then to give you what you need to um, train the next day before you have that one meal again. So there's there's repairing and there's storage and there's um, everything in between, which the everything in between is actually more. And that is a lot. That's your brain activity and just the, the cognitive skills that your body needs calories so um, if you were trying to wait to the evening and eat more of a warrior diet I think uh, see you know that one meal a day was a warrior diet like 20 some plus years ago <laughs> nothing new okay Ori nothing Hoffmaker new exists. Had warrior diet, right but so I go back to that book because Ori showed some great things in there. He used things like fruits and and nuts and um, honey and uh, electrolytes and stuff like that throughout the day. And I think that would be a a viable thing for people. So have your meat and potatoes at night, but have your your berries, your liquids, your fruits and stuff through the day when you need a little bit of juice. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. There's a, it's funny because whether it's the, mentality of the grinding hard workouts or the uh, sort of an extreme way of, of nutrition. There's just always this gravitation towards the extreme. Well, what did we just talk about? I got to say it because we said that men are disciplined to do the extreme hard thing. But one part that where men aren't very disciplined at that causes so many of these problems and some of these questions. It's like, it's not that you have to do more or a better program. It's that you got to get your damn diet straight. So you're willing to take all this time and energy to get in the gym and suffer and do all this hard shit, but you won't actually take accountability on your diet and fix it. There's another area that I see the most of. So it's really like, if I could give any word of advice to kind of sum up all this, I guess, and this is really what I love looking at, but this is an honest truth that the majority of the ways to get people to to switch their lifestyle or to get them to accomplish their goals or 
the answer to most of these questions is to step back, get better quality, and get more intentional with this stuff, and you're going to actually be able to get something out of it. And it's going to be all the small things that people don't want to do. I know you will go suffer and do the hard bike sprints and do an extra cardio thing. Don't do an extra cardio thing. Do an extra freaking, like, cook your damn food. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's your time. Like, those are the times of, of what's got to be put in there. And, um, man, that's what that's what you guys got to do. You got to rest more. You got to move better. You got to focus on your actual training and make it meaningful and intentional and stop all the bullshit and you have to be dedicated and disciplined on those other things that you know that are going to bring you the most bang for your buck that you're not doing and it's going to be food sleep and just your ego of what you feel you can do and what you need and what's actually real Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be the final word of yes. this episode of the Green Spring Podcast. Uh, there's nothing else to say on that one. I was, there's a lot more to say on that one. But that's, take that to heart, find that balance, rewind that one about two minutes, listen to that again, because we all need to hear it Next over week, and over. We're going to talk about how our friend demonized meat. <laughs> we are. And then about two minutes later, we figured out that he had dessert with every meal, didn't skip a roll, and drank a lot of old every fashions. night with no sleep. <laughs> okay, but meat was the problem. So we'll get there next time. <laughs> We're going to talk about that next time. I can't wait. So come back for that. And don't forget to hit up Luke or myself with your questions, because we always want to have this opportunity to answer your questions right here on the Green Shrink Podcast. So uh, Coach Luke. Hit them with the details one more time. How can they get a hold of you? You can find me at the website, greenstrengthhq.com and on Instagram at greenstrengthiv. There you go. So give them a follow, send in your questions, and we're going to have another listener mailbag in the very near future. And we look forward to it. So until next time, we'll see you next week right here back again on the Green Strength Podcast. <laughs>